Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. One short verse for our scripture tonight, Luke 5, verse 16. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray as we look at this verse and we study what our Savior did, Lord, that we would learn from it, Father, that we would imitate it, that we would find our delight in fellowshipping with you. Father, I pray that we would be uh, faithful to give attention to your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So that verse again, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Um, Jesus, the Son of God, would go off by himself in order to fellowship with his Father, Uh, even or especially in the midst of these three years of of intense public ministry, which would lead to his sacrifice on the cross, he would leave behind all the crowds that followed him around and get by himself in the middle of nowhere, in a, in a place of desolation, is that we could translate that word wilderness to just a desolated place, no other people around. When the demands upon his time were the greatest, he still was compelled to retreat from people. He was still compelled to retreat from everyone and find a solitary place where he could pray to his Father in heaven. And so sprinkled throughout the Gospels, we're told that Jesus had this habit of going off by himself and praying. In Matthew chapter 14 We read this about Jesus' habit. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. In Mark chapter 1, we read this, in the early morning, while it was still dark, there are a lot of rappers that are sort of getting my attention right now, and I'm I'm trying not to say anything about it. (laughs) Oh, wait, I just failed. All right. Is everybody done with their wrappers? All right. Thank you. So in Mark chapter 1, we read this. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. In Mark 6, we read this. After bidding them farewell, so he's been with people, he left for the mountain to pray. In Luke chapter 6, we read this, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In Luke chapter 9, we read this, and it happened while he was praying alone, so on and so forth. In Luke chapter 11, we read this, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So we have a tendency to read our own experience into Jesus' experience. We have found it difficult to be regular in our departure from the demands placed upon us by our families, by our work, by our entertainment. 
by our electronic devices. And so we believe that Jesus had to be careful to make time for prayer. He had to make time, you know. He had to carve out some time in his schedule in order to pray to God. We believe he really had to, to um, work hard and reserve and protect this time for prayer to his Father. But more true to reality would probably be this statement that Jesus had to carve out and reserve and protect time for anything other than prayer to his Father. In other words, prayer was his ease. Prayer was his retreat. Prayer was him going back to the glory that he had with his Father before this awful work of dying for our sins. It was his relaxation. It was his recovery. It was his delight to pray. It was part of the glory that he had with his Father before the foundation of the world. The ministry he did for the salvation of our souls was the time where he would submit to the Father's will and work. But prayer was likely his joy. It was his delight. The work of redemption was submission. The work of prayer was delight. Work for which he even asked, you know, that the, his submission to the Father and the work of redemption is work that we must remember he even asked the Father to be relieved of when he prayed, take this cup from me. So having this example of Jesus interrupting his prayer in order to do everything else, why do we find it so hard to interrupt everything else in order to set aside time to pray? Why is that? We're, we, are, we are too busy to pray, but Jesus was too busy not to pray. Right? We're too tired to pray, but Jesus, you know, after healing crowds of people all day long, would go off to pray. He'd cap off a day of hard ministry with prayer. He was too tired not to pray. And Jesus, who in a sense needed nothing because His Father had given Him all authority in heaven and on earth, would pray to His Father. But we, we who are just dust and are unable to come to an end of our weakness and, and our needs are prayerless. If Jesus regularly prayed, then how much more do you and I need to pray? <clears throat> One of the reasons we don't pray is we don't do what Jesus did. We, what Jesus, you know, what did He do to make prayer possible? He got by Himself in a secluded place without distractions. How many times in a week are you by yourself without distractions? How long? Never? I mean, is the answer honestly never? I mean, it easily, I think all of us could say it's never. If you factor in the phone, it's easily never. Um, as, soon as, as soon as we wake up, the kids have their needs and make them known, right? And until 9 o'clock, they've probably been, for all of you um, home economics professors, You've been working to, uh, to meet the needs of, all, of your children until about, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, whenever your kids, you know, 8, 7.30 is a better time just because then you get more time in the day to yourself. Um, <laughs> so, um, but then do you rise early? Do you, who wants to get up early to pray? 
Does anybody here rise early to pray? My wife does. And then I bug her, right? I annoy her and I distract her from prayer. And she's, she, she'll often tell me, look, I'm, I'm praying. And I'll be like, oh, dope. I'll uh, stop being a jerk. Um, but we, 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 we have made it very difficult for ourselves to, to get to a secluded place in order to fellowship with God. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, we're all carrying around these devices that allow us to constantly be interrupted. Our phones keep us connected to friends, spouses, children, every bit of cloud chatter on the internet, tweets, push alerts, score updates, breaking news, all these things come crashing in, and we allow them in. We just we don't put the filters on. Um, do you remember the age before cell phones? Not you, children. You don't. Um, do you remember it? Do you remember... Um, you could go whole days without knowing where some of your closest friends and relatives were. Whole days. You would leave in the morning, go to work, and you would have no clue where your spouse was. Today, that's scary to us. I mean, that's like if we don't get contact every hour from those closest to us, we think they've been abducted by aliens. Right? We, some, we think something weird has happened. And so again, it's impossible. We've made it impossible to seclude ourselves from everybody but the Lord. And the Lord demands our attention, right? The Lord deserves our attention more than our spouses or our kids or our friends and certainly than ESPN, right? Um, whole days, a husband would leave for work in the morning and a wife might know where, not know where he was until he showed up back at home in the evening. It's amazing. If we miss someone's calls or texts, we feel, you know, as if we've betrayed them. Right? Oh, it's been an hour. I didn't, I didn't even realize that I had gotten, you know, an hour. They must hate me, you know? They must think I, I've got something against them that I haven't responded. An hour, right? An hour. That's 60 minutes. Um, so all of this adds up to make it impossible to be alone, impossible to find a place to be secluded. And of course, on the flip side of this, and, and you know, this is, this is the other ironic thing is, when we're together with people, we sink ourselves into our phone, and, and, and uh, the, the sociologist who wrote about this wrote a book called um, Alone Together, right? So even, you know, even when we want to come together, we'll use our phones to be alone, right? So, so we're neither getting secluded and alone, nor coming together and being together. We're in this, like, this, like, third thing where we're, we're always connected and always disconnected simultaneously. Um, these devices, our demands, the, the, the way we've oriented our lives has not just made it impossible to be alone, it's made us incapable of being alone. We've become products of our technology products of the way we've oriented our lives. When we, 
um, are out in the wilderness without any connection to our constant stream of information, we feel deprived and depressed. We get depressed. Right? There's no stimulation. There's nothing, there's nothing coming to us that's, that's um, like a, a little electrical shock. Right? And so, um, God never gets our attention exclusively. Um, we may be by ourselves much of the day. Some of us, you know, we have offices that we work in, and so we're by ourselves for much of the day, but we're never alone. We're never secluded. We're never cut off. My good friend Steve Berenzi, who, who uh, spoke at our conference last year, teaches at Columbia wrote an article for Touchstone Magazine that addressed these things. In general, he's addressing the question of what Facebook does to us, but it applies to this too. He writes this, the tyranny of the trivial exercise, exer- the tyranny the trivial exercises over our lives is perpetuated by the incessant Facebook update. It makes us a society of drone bees flitting restlessly from flower to flower. We can never pause because there's always more nectar to gather somewhere else. We've learned to live in, with a constant low-grade chatter of information. In this world of instant gratification, we demand to know everything and we want to know it now. It's easy to lose our bearing in the flood of irrelevance that swamps our lives. In the shallows, um, by Nicholas Carr, another um, secular pagan writer, says we now have jugglers' brains. Like the cat in the hat, we have to keep many things in the air at the same time. There's no time to stop and rest, no time to think, no time to spread deep roots and watch seeds grow. Such things demand patience, which is an endangered virtue in our culture. Later in the same article, Steve gives this helpful reminder. It's shameful that this even needs to be said, but but it does. Finally, the reason that really belongs first, the greatest of all friends, the friend of friends, who laid down his life for you and sticks closer than a brother, never to leave you nor forsake you, doesn't have a Facebook account. We're exhorted to seek the face of our faithful friend Jesus, but, he's, but because he's not on social media, we seek all other faces but his. Ask yourself this, where do you tend to go first? To Facebook or the book where you see His face? Do we seek the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? This is the eternal glory that doesn't fade with the loss of Wi-Fi. We find the glory of Jesus' face in His Word. And so we need to fight these temptations to never be alone. Right? We need to make sure that there are many times when we unplug, when we are unavailable, when we are off the grid, when we are off by ourselves as Jesus did in order to pray to our glorious and almighty God, our, our Father in heaven. Jesus had more demands on His time than you and I will ever have, Right? and more serious demands on his time than we will ever have, yet he made sure he found himself alone for the purpose of praying to his Father. So make it so that you're unavailable at certain times, morning or evening. Make it so that you can't be found. Make it so that your kids and your spouse cannot find you. Make sure they, 
they know it's coming, right? Like, I'm going off the grid. You will not know where I am for the next three hours. And that's because I want to spend time with my Savior. Um, go, go for a walk so that you can pray. And don't just put the phone on vibrate. Leave it at home. Leave it at home. Leave it in the house, in the office desk, in the car. Jesus had to withdraw so that, so, so, so do you. You have to withdraw. You have to disconnect if you intend to pray. When Jesus taught about prayer, the command to go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret was not only about avoiding the vanity of the Pharisees who liked to be seen when they prayed, but it was also about getting away from distractions. It has to be a part of it. right? Go into the closet, close the door, and pray. Um, Jonathan Edwards, I'm reading the biography of Jonathan Edwards by Marsden right now. And I don't know, it was typical of the time, perhaps it was typical of the time, or perhaps it was just typical of Jonathan Edwards. He describes times when he would withdraw and from everything for the purpose of prayer. In his personal narrative, he goes into how he would, he would go for walks. Um, and get himself by himself in nature. And so let me read a little bit of his personal narrative to you. He said this, The first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God. Is that a foreign concept to us? An inward sweet delight in God. Children, have you had an inward sweet delight in God? Or is he just a concept like a catechism question or answer to you? Or is he somebody that you can be a friend with, that you can talk to, that you can fellowship with, right? An inward, sweet delight in God. You know, those who make fun of Jonathan Edwards for his pietism just disgust me, right? They, They despise Edwards for things like this, that he would go out and converse with God in nature. Um... If we don't have this kind of relationship with God where we delight to fellowship in him, with Him, then I don't think we know Jesus. I don't think we know the triune God who created us to delight in Him, who, who told us to um, just rejoice and delight in the thought of Him. Anyway, um, where was I? The first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things that I have lived much in since was on reading those words, 1 Timothy 1.17, now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's, he's meditating on that verse. And it's not just a benediction to him. It's not just words on a page. But he begins to actually think about the truth of those words and think that our God is, is the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, and only wise God and that His glory will reign forever. He says, as I read the words, there came into my soul and as it were diffused through it a sense of the glory of the divine being. 
a new sense. Quite different from anything I ever experienced before. Never any words of Scripture seemed to me as these words did. I thought it with myself how excellent a being God, how excellent a being that was, and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up to Him in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in Him forever. I kept saying and as it were singing over these words of Scripture to myself and went to pray to God that I might enjoy Him and prayed in a manner quite different from what I used to do with a new sort of affection. Right? Not the, boy, I need help with my homework. Would you help me to do my job today? Would you please provide what we need for the coming week? But an affectionate prayer a prayer where you're speaking to your lover as the lover speaks to her, his lover in the Song of Solomon. He goes on, From about that time I began to have a new kind of apprehension and ideas of Christ and the work of redemption and the glorious way of salvation by Him. An inward sweet sense of these things at times came into my heart and my soul was led away <clears throat> in pleasant views and contemplations of them. And my mind was greatly engaged to spend my time in reading and meditating on Christ, on the beauty and excellency of His person, and the lovely way of salvation by free grace in Him. I found no books so delightful to me as those that treated of these subjects. Those words, Song of Solomon 2.1, used to be, abundantly with me. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. The words seem to me sweetly to represent the loveliness and beauty of Jesus Christ. The whole book of Canticles used to be pleasant to me. And I used to be much in reading it about that time and found from time to time an inward sweetness that would carry me away in my contemplations. This I know not how to express otherwise than by a calm, sweet abstraction of soul from all the concerns of this world. And sometimes a kind of vision or fixed ideas and imaginations of being alone in the mountains or some solitary wilderness far from all mankind sweetly conversing with Christ and wrapped and swallowed up in God. The sense I had of divine things would often of a sudden kindle up as it were a sweet burning in my heart an ardor of soul that I know not how to express. That's what Edward says in his personal narrative. Do you have times like this? Have you had times like this in your walk with Christ? I think all the regenerate have had times like that where you're just overcome by a sense of God and and overcome by a sense of His glory and, and the fact that such a glorious God who's eternal would be mindful of us and would forgive our sins through the death of His Son. You know, there are times, it's few and far between, but there are times when I, uh, when I'm writing a sermon, you know, often it's just duty. I'm working through a sermon, I'm working through a passage, but there are other times when the passage strikes my heart, my soul, and I have to stop writing the sermon and just worship, right? And just cry just weep, just um, 
Because, because in studying the Scripture, God uses His Spirit to reveal Himself in these ways. And those times I wish were all the time. Right? But they're few and far between. Um, do you have times like this? Times when you are fellowshipping with the lover of your soul. Right? Times when the thought of God and His Word are filling your mind. Times when you're simply enjoying your Father. Enjoying God in heaven. Right? You, you've stopped going from one thing to the next and you've just stopped to think about your Creator. Times when it's clear that your chief delight and your greatest joy is thinking about the beauty and power of Jesus Christ. Times when you are alone with God. Alone. I don't think there are many of us who, who do this regularly. I don't think there are many of us who delight in being alone with God. I, I don't think there are many who are concerned to withdraw from our phones and entertainments and people and stimulation. Right? I just don't think... I think we've been trained. I think we've been trained and I think we need to repent. I think we need to ask God that He would retrain us to... Um, to be able to be bored and alone and then to set our minds on something that's eternal and fixed, which is only one thing, which is God Almighty. Right? We, we, <laughs> it's good for our children to be bored. Right? They hate it. My children hate being bored. But it's good because it means there's some space there that can be filled by good things, right? There's some space there that you can fill up, not with entertainment, which takes you away from God, but with things that will lead you to God, like prayer. I mean, children, I need your prayers. I, your, your parents need your prayers. We've been putting up with you for 13, 16 years, you know? We do need prayer. Um, but you need to pray to God. You need to pursue your relationship with Him. Pursue your relationship with God. God has, God has, um, God has done uh, amazing things, right? God has, God has done um, far beyond all that we can think or imagine for us, and yet we find it difficult to set our minds on Him and to break away from these despicable things. Um, I don't think there are many who want to be like the man described in Psalm 1, in God's law he meditates day and night. to meditate on God's law day and night. I don't think there are many of us who think it would be a productive day to spend even one of 24 hours being secluded by ourselves for the purpose of prayer. I think we would come out of that prayer right now with regrets for the things that we had missed and neglected. And that's terrible, right? I think we would come out with regrets, though. I don't think many wives would allow their husbands the kind of freedom or husbands would allow their wives the kind of freedom they need to get by themselves to pray, right? Husbands have to get their, their wives away from their children so that they can do this, 
get those kids far away from your wives at times so they can spend time, one, doing nothing, but two, praying to Almighty God and fellowshipping with Him. And it needs to be regularly. Um, <clears throat> there, there are always going to be diapers to change and family gatherings to attend and restaurants to try and games to play and money to be made and, and sermons to write. <clears throat> and the grass is always growing, especially this time of year. You can't stay ahead of it. And there are books that you want to read and people have told you that you need to be reading these books and and, you know, there, there, there's abortion clinics that are killing babies that we need to minister to. And there's just so many demands on our time. That, and, and then we've got to make status updates on top of all of that. We've got to keep our Twitter followers, you know, fed about manhood. And why is this? Why are we careful not to be alone with God? Do we have... Do, I mean, I think part of the problem that we've created with, with, the, um, with, with social media and, and, and instant likes and things like that is we feel that we're not getting credit when we spend time praying to God. Right? We, and, and then we want to be like the Pharisees who prayed to be seen in order to be acknowledged for their prayers. But... But prayer, God, God isn't you know, giving us the feedback we want when, uh, when we spend time in praying to Him. Or, you know, or is He? I mean, is He answering our prayers? Is He hearing us? Is, is He, as we pray, giving us a delight in, his, in Him? So Jesus withdrew to be alone. Jesus got by Himself, went to a secluded place so that He would not be distracted because it was His delight to pray to the Father. Um, <clears throat> we don't because of the urgent, the tyranny that's of the urgent that's always around us, the things that need to get done, the choices we make each day to be engaged with the world, which we have to do, Right? It includes many good things, but we choose it to the exclusion of being engaged with God. Another reason we don't get by ourselves to pray is we don't believe prayer does anything. Right? Because the answers that God gives are often either long-term or mysterious or we're just too, too stupid. And I'm using that word not to be scandalous. It's a Scripture word. Right? We're too stupid to see God's work. Because as soon as we pray and turn away from it, we're not looking for answers to prayer. We're looking at our phones and being stimulated. We don't believe prayer does anything. We don't believe meditation is good for anything. That's stopping and getting outside and walking along the path and just taking one verse with you. To like chew on it forward and backward and try to memorize it and think about each one of the words and, and hope that God allows us by His Spirit to truly know the meaning of that even one verse. But then we come away from it thinking, well, I don't have, I just, all I, that was an hour gone. I don't have any proof that I've even. You know, no one saw me. I don't have any proof that I did this unless, you know, I, I posted a picture of myself meditating on God's Word on Facebook. 
which you've done. Many of you have done. I've done, right? We want credit. We are addicted to our false intimacies and so incapable of being alone, right? We want to be half alone and half not alone, but we don't want to be together with people, but we don't want to be... It's twisted. I, I just think we're all messed up. We do not think of God as our priceless treasure, right? Is He our priceless treasure? We have many lesser treasures that occupy our time, right? The old quote by Lewis about we, we, we play with mud pies instead of, you know, instead of enjoying a trip to the ocean to see God's creation, right? We, we're happy just playing with mud pies. Um, we have guilty consciences that dislike the presence of God. There's another reason we don't pray is because we have guilty consciences and to be in the presence of God is convicting. It's painful, right? It's exposing us, but, but that's good. That's good. Don't let your sins keep you from prayer because it's likely that Prayer and repenting to God is going to be the thing that cleanses your conscience before Him and that He's going to use, right? Don't neglect the Word when you've sinned. Go to it and let it rake you about, right? Let it put salt in that wound. The other reason we don't get alone to be with God may be that we just don't know God. We're unconverted. We, we don't have the Holy Spirit in us, so there's no magnetism between us and the Father. There's just no desire. There's nothing there. There's an impossibility. That which we don't know and we don't find all that compelling will never draw our attention or our time. So the things that we don't know or don't find compelling don't get our time. Is God not compelling to you? Is the one who spoke the worlds into existence not compelling to you? Man who is, has never been on a golf course is not a golfer, right? A woman who has never played a musical instrument is not a musician. So also a person who does not do as Jesus did, which is to be secluded to, in order to meditate and pray to God, is not a Christian, Right? Edwards said, the spirit of a true convert is a spirit of true love to God. I mean, and we're like, yeah, duh. I mean, <laughs> the spirit of a true convert is the spirit of true love to God, and that naturally inclines the soul to those duties wherein it is conversant with God and makes it to delight in approaching Him, right? So the spirit of a true convert is love to God, and that inclines us to want to spend time with Him. Right? It's just like the love you have for a person. Right? If you love somebody, you want to spend time with that person. Right? Our love inclines us to certain duties. Right? And so it is with, and, and, but much more so, in God. But a hypocrite has no such spirit. He is left under the reigning power of enmity against God, which naturally inclines him to Shun his presence. And think about that. Enmity to God is the thing that keeps, us, keeps men away from God. Away from delighting in his presence. 
And Edwards puts it so, um, I mean, it's a simple concept that he puts here, and it's undeniably true. Spirit of a true convert is a spirit of true love to God. And that makes it to delight in Him. So remember Jesus' example. This week, at some point, try to get yourself secluded for the purpose of meditation and prayer. And I include meditation in that because your prayers are deficient just like mine. We have no idea how to praise God in our prayers. We just go through our laundry list of prayers. I need, I need, I need, I want, I need, I want, I want, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want. So stop. Stop that and just take, take that verse from, from Timothy um, and, and meditate on His glory. Think about it. Think about the words of a particular Scripture and how it describes God and just stop and worship Him. Stop and think about Him. And then maybe, it, and then maybe you'll just burst out in some doxologies and your prayers will start not with, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want. But it'll be, God, you're glorious. God, you're faithful. God, you're, you're, you're powerful. And, and with that, God will be pleased with you as a child who is devoted to Him and faithful. Right? God delights in the praises of His people. He sits enthroned on the praises of His people. He delights in this. Can you imagine God delighting in you in any way? Can you imagine God being giddy because you've stopped to contemplate His glory? Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us to to do this glorious work of resting and secluding and being alone so that we can be with You. Father, we don't, we don't even know what it means that you would take delight in your people, you who are with, uh, are unchanging and not at the mercy of, of any, uh, anything or anyone else. And yet there's so much in Scripture that says you do take delight in your people, that you see them as the apple of your eye, that you... Uh, Know them that uh, you sit enthroned on their praises, that you desire to hear them praise you. And so, Father, we ask your forgiveness for being so half-hearted, so distant, so silent. Lord, I pray that we would we would um, we would delight in you, and that would lead us to change the way that our time is used. That we would crave to be alone, crave to be with our God, crave to be with our Savior. And that you would wean us from our dependency upon this fleeting, changing, and wicked world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.